All right, good to see everybody here today. And uh, yeah, it was kind of intriguing. You all sat, as a general, I see there's a few more towards the back, but everybody sat towards the front today. I don't know what, what was up with that. I guess the songs were just incredibly inviting, but that was really good. I had a neat experience this week. I got a chance to go up to Estes Park and had lunch with uh, Dina and Aliyah, and we had a wonderful time. I enjoyed that very much. But I was reminded in the doing of that how much I appreciate what the Kings and the Staffords, and then not just them, really a lot of you, but particularly that was on my mind, their willingness to make that trip on a weekly basis. That's not a short run if you've been up to Estes Park and back. That's not a quick run, particularly like last Sabbath when it was so snowy. It's particularly a slow ride. But I appreciate so much what they do and their willingness to make that trip on a weekly basis, to be a part of this community and a part of what takes place here, and to be such an important part of the music uh, that takes place each Sabbath. So I just, that was fresh on my mind. I wanted to thank you guys for that. I know a lot of you drive quite a ways to get here, and I don't blame you. I'd drive a long ways to get here, too, if I didn't live in town. So, uh, but it's, it's a wonderful a wonderful experience, and, and I'm glad everybody makes that choice uh, to be here, and particularly you guys on a weekly basis. Thank you for that. They come early, you know. They're here at like 8 o'clock or even before that sometimes to get it all ready, so I appreciate that very much. Also, I had, uh, actually, Alicia and I had a visit yesterday from uh, a member of the pastoral staff here at the Boulder Church. That was a blessing. Pastor Molly came by to see us, and... Uh, and we spent some time talking, and I just have to mention this because she actually helped a lot in me trying to get the sermon together today because she asked me and actually acted interested, what are you going to talk about tomorrow? Which is always a mistake if you're ever at a pastor's house before a sermon. Never ask them what they're going to talk about because, right, Daryl, that could go a while, right? Yeah, you know it can. So, but she asked, and... Uh, and really what it was, was it was kind of an interesting week, because I felt like God gave me these verses, and I'm like, yes, 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 but how do they fit? And what does that have to do with Christmas? But she helped me in that process by asking me that question, and, and it just kind of came together in that conversation. So thank you for that. You may have to come by every Friday. I don't know. We'll see as we go forward. But uh, yeah, very good. No, I appreciate this community. And, uh, and everyone here that's a part of it. And as you know, we're, we're on the brink of adding a couple new members here. Uh, as, as Molly is close to adding a member and Jessica is close to adding a member to our community, we're very much looking forward to that. We're not looking forward to the brief period of time they'll be away after that, but we'll be glad when they return holding precious little ones. So keep them in your prayers as we go forward. I think, I think you guys are all kind of in the last month of it all, so we're looking forward to that. And then it'll be the McLaughlin's turn again, so we'll, <laughs> we'll look forward to that. Very good. No, oh, no, sorry. <clears throat> all right, yeah, well, it's because uh, Brittany always goes first, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, let's pray before I get in real trouble. All right, Father in heaven, thank you so much for this Sabbath day, for the chance to be here. Lord, we pray uh, your Holy Spirit's presence be with us now. Uh, may we see Jesus today. In his name we pray, amen. 
So I kind of got launched on this idea for today, last Sabbath, uh, in one of the songs that Jared was leading. And it's one, it's a, it's one of those hymns that we all know very well, Joy to the World. And we sang that last Sabbath. But there is, there is a verse of that song that has always struck me. And it's generally the third verse, I suppose, depending on, on what version you've got of it. Uh, it goes like this. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. That's kind of a strange verse. What in the world is this? I mean, sins and sorrows, okay, maybe that makes a lot of sense to us, but what's this about thorns infesting the ground? What does that have to do with what Jesus came to do? And he comes to make his blessings flow. Flow is an interesting term there. Far as the curse is found. This is not really a context we always think about when we think of Christmas, but I always found this to be a very powerful verse, and, and it connects to a passage very much right at the beginning of the Bible, and it connects to a concept that we've talked about in a, a few weeks previously, uh, previous to this, when we were, we were talking about the reality, we were in Luke, and we were talking about some of the things Jesus was saying, and we talked about how, how a curse came upon the earth in the context of sin. And how it was kind of, a, kind of a strange reality because on the one hand, it was a terrible thing to have happen. But on the other hand, it probably is one of the things that has sustained us. That the hardship of our life has perhaps been one of the only things that's kept us from completely destroying ourselves. And it's a cruel irony, but yet Jesus has come to take this away, to take this perversion away from us. I'm talking about Genesis chapter 3, and we read this before uh, a few weeks back. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then comes verse 15. And this is a fascinating verse. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. It, clearly, when this was given in the first place, the fullness of what this meant was impossible to understand. But the fullness of this as it would play out would be the reality of the gospel, that it would be the offspring of the woman. By the woman, someone would come who would crush the head of the serpent at the cost of being struck and wounded himself in the process. This verse, Genesis 3.15, is sometimes called the proto-euangelion. Now, from euangelion, that, that we get the word uh, evangelize, but what it is is good news. So this is the first good news. So the, the story starts, we have creation, everything is good, everything is good, and then comes the fall, 
But immediately after that, in the midst even of the curses, comes the first good news. The promise that a day would come when the serpent would be destroyed. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. There's a number of ways that that's interpreted in different versions, but I think basically what it says is there's going to be tension sometimes between men and women. Has that ever played out? Yeah. Verse 17, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And then we have this verse, 18. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You remember the verse in the song? No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns uh, infest the ground. This is the reference here. This is what this song is talking about. Verse, verse 18. And you shall eat the plants of the field... By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So we have this imagery in Genesis 3. We have, we have thorns, we have thistles, we have dust. One of the things to remember when we're reading some of these things is that they are written in a context of a, of a desert climate. And these are scourges of a desert climate. Dust, thorns, thistles, a place where things do not grow easily, the cursed land. But as we've been saying, after Jesus, everything changes. And how we read the Old Testament prophets and the meaning of what they say, we must understand in the context of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So to that end, and in the context of Genesis chapter 3, I submit to you the following questions for you to hang on to as we go along today. Here they are. First, what do the passages I'm about to read to you have to do with the curse? Second, in light of Jesus, what do they mean? And third, what does this have to do with Christmas? So here we go. Let's jump in. We have a number of verses. Last Sabbath, uh, we took a look at, at one chapter, and we just walked through that one chapter all day. We're going to be a little different today. We're going to jump to a lot of different verses. So uh, I think Brigitte's got them. I think they're going to be on the screen but you also can take one of those Bibles in front of you if you want to follow along. I have that same version. Ezekiel chapter 47 is where we're going to start today. Ezekiel chapter 47. Beginning in verse 1. It says, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. Now, Ezekiel's in a vision, and the he here is an angel. He brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold... Water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. 
The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Now, when I read that, I, I, I thought, well, what would be a good illustration for what this was looking like? And, <clears throat> and a rather tragic one came to mind. And that was what happened at the parsonage I'm living in just before we moved in. Someone drove by there, and sure enough, water was trickling out from under the door because the power had been turned off and a water pipe broke in the ceiling and there wasn't anybody there for a couple weeks until someone discovered water trickling out under the door. This was actually kind of what this was about, but it wasn't a bad thing in this story. Water was running out underneath, not a torrent, just a trickle of water coming down from the temple, from the area from around where the altar is. Verse 3, going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man, or the angel, measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. So, so you've got the temple, and, and there's water just trickling out. But if you go about a thousand cubits out, all of a sudden... It's a little more substantial. It's about ankle deep. You're wading through a small stream. Verse 4, again he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. Now, I want you to notice what's going on here. So, if you know about Jerusalem or about that region, Jerusalem sits kind of up on the plateau. And then, if you come uh, east of Jerusalem, you go down through what's called the Wadi Kelt. And this is kind of a dry waterway that occasionally has water in it. And it flows from Jerusalem down to Jericho. You know anything about a story of a man who went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? That's the road he's on. It's a barren road. It's a rough road. There's not a lot of water or a lot of anything along that road that's good, except apparently some bandits on that day who beats the guy up. And the water flows from Jerusalem down to Jericho, or at least this, this waterway goes down there. And then at Jericho, it hits the Jordan River, turns south and heads for the Dead Sea. But all of this is barren land. If you've ever really been out in the desert somewhere and everything is dry and barren and rock and you occasionally will see where a stream is and there's this flash of green, what's being described here is water in the desert. And this water that comes out of the temple flows down and it gets deeper and deeper the further it goes. And the result is now this area that was once barren, now there's trees growing on the side. 
And now this water is so good and fresh, it hits the Jordan River and it turns south and it heads down to the Dead Sea, which is this incredibly salty body of water in which nothing can live. We had the chance when we were in Israel to go to the Dead Sea and swim in the Dead Sea. The only way you could drown in the Dead Sea is if you were trying. Because you can literally stand vertically and float this far out of the water. And the reason is because there are so many minerals in that water that the buoyancy of the water holds you up. You can literally lay your head back on it and it will support your head like a pillow. So salty is that water. But the description of this prophecy is this water that comes from the temple is so fresh and powerful that it enters into the Dead Sea and suddenly life, everything becomes fresh. Verse 9, and wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live and there will be many, very many fish for this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh so everything will live where the river goes. It starts as a trickle, but the further it goes, the bigger it gets, and everywhere it goes, it gives life. So what makes the desert come to life and makes even the waters of the Dead Sea productive? Well, but before we take that on, I want to take you to another prophecy, this time Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35, and we're going to begin in verse 1. It says this, The wilderness and dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Now again, we've got geographical references here, and let me give you context. Again, we're talking about the desert. He says it's the desert that will rejoice and be glad, and it will be like Lebanon. Lebanon is a place that actually gets rain. And because of that, you get those cedars of Lebanon, the trees that are so famous in the Bible. And in that region where there is abundant rain and moisture, you get these plants. And so those who lived in the deserts of Judea looked off and thought about that land of abundant water, and that imagery comes into what they're talking about when relief comes to the barren land. Then we have verse 3. It says, strengthen the weak hands. And make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Whatever we're describing here is going to result in healing to the people. For waters break forth in the desert, in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. Here's this water imagery again. The burning sand shall become a pool. The thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. There's also going to be a healing for the land. 
So we have a healing for a people and a healing for the land. And then verse 8, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. I find great encouragement in that line. I like that one a lot. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. There will not be peril to those who are on this way. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now, some of you who are roughly my age might know a song associated with that verse. Did anybody else learn that song? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. Started it too high. And everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Yeah. Did you know that was the context? That's the only problem with scripture songs. Sometimes you have no idea where they came from. But that's... That's the context, the story of this amazing deliverance that will turn the desert into a garden and turn those who are afflicted to those who are delivered and saved. So maybe we could call this, this, this particular passage joy to the desert. I mean, we say joy to the world. Joy to the desert because God has promised deliverance. There's to be a healing for the people. There's to be a healing for the land. And then there's some very interesting language here. I don't know if you noticed it when we read it. There will be a highway called the way. And the redeemed shall walk on this highway. And they will be safe on this highway at least in an eternal sense. So what is this about? And how do we reread these prophecies in light of Jesus? Well, let's start with a text from John with the Ezekiel passage in mind. You remember the Ezekiel passage we read just a little bit ago, this little trickle of water that starts at the temple associated with the altar And it grows and grows and grows and grows until it turns the Dead Sea into a sea of life. John chapter 7, beginning in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So so we have in this this passage about Jesus, he's standing up and talking, and, and we have the context of water. Those who are thirsty, come to me and drink. And in fact, it's not just that. In fact, he mentions, out of the heart of the one who receives the living water will flow rivers 
of living water. So how about to this we add these words? Now, a context for what I'm about to read you. This is John chapter 2. Jesus has just cleared the temple. And, and so in John chapter 2, verse 18, we find these words. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So, so what did Ezekiel see in vision, and what is its ultimate meaning? Ezekiel saw the temple with a trickle of water. But this trickle of water grew and grew and grew and brought life. So in the context of Jesus, what did he see? Jesus says, destroy this temple, I will raise it in three days. He was the temple. And what did he say? Those who are thirsty, come to me and drink, and out of you will come a flood of water. So here's what this is about. Jesus the Messiah starts a flood that brings life and undoes the curse of the wilderness. And the flood grows. It starts as a trickle, but it becomes a mighty life-giving river. And we who believe receive the water of life and ourselves then become fountains out of which the Holy Spirit flows, which is why the river starts as a trickle, but gets bigger and bigger and bigger the farther it goes. Because as we join in to the purpose of Jesus, we become fountains. Ezekiel is describing what results from Jesus faithfully accomplishing what the Father sent him to do and we putting our faith in what he has done. That, that idea of the growing flood is, is similar to the imagery of the stone cut without hands in Daniel 2 that starts small but grows to fill the world. It's the same idea. It's the same idea. But now let's look at the Isaiah passage again. And let's add that to what we've done so far. So Isaiah 35, verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land should be glad. The desert should rejoice and blossom like the crocus. So joy to the desert. Because water is coming. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. And then we move on. Then this next section. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Sometimes that's us. Sometimes we have the weak hands and the feeble knees. But 
But even better is when we have become so much a part of God's purpose, we're able to turn and help others who have the weak hands and the feeble knees. That's, that's what we're going for. We're, we don't just want to be saved. We want to be on the winning team. We want to be a part of what God is doing. Verse 4, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Does anybody have an anxious heart today? Because if you do, here's the word for you. Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. He promises deliverance. So be strong, fear not. And what comes with this deliverance? Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This is the healing of the people. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. This is healing of the land. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. Hang on to that. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So again, we have the appearance of the water of life, which Jesus claims to be able to deliver, as we have in the story of the woman at the well, John chapter 4. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's the same imagery. It's the same concept. So that is what Isaiah is talking about with the imagery of the desert coming to life. But what about this highway called the way of holiness? Well, this is great. John 14. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Do you remember what he said to, to, to those who were fearful? He says, be strong, fear not. Now we have Jesus saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. So this is the promise. And then he says this. Verse 4, and you know the way to where I am going. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Is this not the eternal human question? 
We don't even know where you are. How can we know the way there? Because we think it's something we have to come up with. We think it's something we have to figure out. But verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The eternal question of humans, how do I get there? The divine answer of God, I am the way. So now let's think about that in the context of Isaiah 35, verse 8. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. What is this talking about? Is this a formula? Or is this faith in Jesus, who is the way? This is the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. That's because those who do not put their faith in Jesus will be remaining in that unclean reality. They're not redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. But, but those who have put their faith in Jesus are on the way. They are on the highway of holiness. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. This is the Christian life. This is the fountain of water springing up out of you. This is us in the world walking the way. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Do you remember that passage that says, none can take you from my Father's hand? If you stay faithful, not even your own foolishness is going to do it. He's going to pull you through. Stay faithful. And, And again, this idea of none taking us away, it says no lion shall be there. So nothing can take you out of the Father's hand, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And, And the result then is verse 10. This is our experience. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. We, we do that on a weekly basis, gathering here and singing as we are on the way, this highway of God. We come and we rejoice in singing. But there is an even greater fulfillment to come. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is what Jesus has done for us. He has come to take away the curse. But how does he do it? Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So by becoming the curse for us, he's removed the curse from us, and we've received the spirit. And if you remember the imagery, this then becomes the fountain of living water that comes out of us, and we become vessels from which life flows to heal the land and the people and all life. We become a part of what God is doing in the world. 
We become part of his solution when we are truly revealed as the sons and daughters of God. But here's the thing. Don't misunderstand. It isn't always easy. Sometimes we make our greatest testimony, if you will, in the, in the context of what we're talking about, our most abundant production of living water, if you will, Sometimes we make our greatest testimony in the hour of our greatest trial. Sometimes you're the most effective fountain when you're going through the hardest time. We might not want it to be that way, but it seems to be true. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The land needs healing. The people need healing. They're waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So so think about that in the the context of, of this description from Ezekiel, that where the water flows into the sea that is dead, now there is abundant life where the sons and daughters of God are revealed in the reality of the Holy Spirit, life comes to dead places. Even if the revelation of that Spirit comes through trial and hardship on the part of those who are revealing God. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. That that, that reference all the way back to the curse. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. This is how it happens. This is what Jesus has accomplished. This is what we're called to be a part of. So now I want to invite the band to come back up. We're going to try to see if we can connect this now to Christmas. Not everyone sees what's happening. Not everyone saw it in Jesus' day, Not everyone sees it now either. There was no reception for Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem. There was only a stable with a manger. And you had to think, if you were Mary and Joseph, this can't be the plan. But it was the plan. Have you ever felt that in your life? This can't be the plan. And even after the angels and the shepherds, there still wasn't much notice. But 
as is always the case, there was at least one man and at least one woman. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification. Now, just, just a quick aside there. Their purification. I don't think it's talking about Joseph and Mary. It's talking about Mary and Jesus. Their purification according to the law of Moses. Isn't it interesting? It references all the way back to the curse, doesn't it? The offspring of the woman. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to, all, according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Blessed, uh, behold, this child is appointed for the fallen rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Remember the, the stone that makes men stumble and the rock that makes them fall? That's what he's talking about. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him, Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And the trickle of water started. Just a trickle. But there were two there who were ready to let the river flow from themselves. And when they saw the trickle, they drank. And, and out of them by the Spirit flowed the testimony. This is what we commemorate at Christmas when the water started to flow. I wish it always flowed perfectly, but that's not been the story in the history of the church or in, in my life and probably yours too. But still, the water flows. And today we have the chance to be a part of a mighty river if we are willing to receive Jesus into our hearts. Not everybody notices. There's another Christmas song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It has these words, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts 
the blessing of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Will you let Jesus into your heart today? See, the, the first Noel, the angels reported because they were the only ones that knew what was going on. And then some shepherds found out. And the trickle started. And more saw and believed. And now it's become a mighty river that we are invited to be a part of. Let Jesus in your heart today. Be part of what he's doing.